0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Listen very carefully to the words of this passage, and then I'm going to
1: come and speak on it. Good morning. This morning's uh, scripture reading is from Revelation 22, verses 12 to 21. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the adulterers, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angels to give you this testimony for the churches I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star the spirit and the bride say come and let he, him who hears say come whoever is thirsty let him come and whoever wishes let him take the free gift of the water of life i warn everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book if anyone adds anything to them god will add him add will god will add to him the plagues described in this book and if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.
0: This morning, I want to talk about a doctrine that doesn't get talked about very often in the church. And it's, it's probably not talked about very much because if you read the Bible's account of the return of Jesus, it's very fantastical. It almost sounds like science fiction as you hear stories of lightning arcing across the entire heavens and the, the clouds and the heavens ripping open like a, a curtain and millions of angels filling the sky and the sound of trumpets so loud the entire earth can hear them at once. And then Jesus comes riding down on a white war horse, a destria, dressed for battle. It's so fantastical that maybe it's one of the parts of our faith we don't really like to talk about very much or like to think about. But I think this is one of the most important parts of our belief system, one of the truths that we have to have, very clearly in mind as we walk day to day in our Christian journey. I'll tell you why. I remember hearing um, about a psychological study that was done on a group of runners. And so here's what they did. They found a large group of very well-conditioned marathon runners, and they split them into two teams. And to the one team, they said, we're going to ask you to run exactly 10 miles and we'd like you to try to do it in under X number of minutes. And they gave them a very finite assignment and said, go. To the second group of runners, they said, we want you to just have a nice, easy pace and just start running. We'll tell you when you can stop. So to the one group, they were given a very clear expectation that there would be an end. To the other group, it was just an indefinite run you were at the mercy of whoever was in charge, and you just kept running and running until they gave you permission to stop. And the results were really surprising because for the first group, they ran the 10 miles very easily. In fact, for some of them, they said that they made their personal best in that 10-mile run. But for the second group, this is what they look like after five miles. This is a group of people who can easily run marathons But somehow their perception of the run was it was pure torture and they were beat up and exhausted. And it had nothing to do with physical ability. It had everything to do with how the human heart and the human mind work. It would appear that the conclusion of the study is that the human mind cannot bear indefinite toil. We human beings need to know that there is a finite beginning and a finite end to things. Otherwise, if we think that it just keeps going on and on and on and on, we lose heart. We don't have the endurance to make it to the end unless we know that the end is in sight. You know, if you've ever done a cross-country road trip, you know that it's a lot more energizing and exciting in the beginning of the road trip than when you're two-thirds of the way through and you feel like you're never going to make it to California. It's just one stretch of open road after another. And for some of you, you know that right now, that's how your life feels, isn't it? What's tomorrow, guys? Monday. Raise your hand if you love Mondays. Like, you can hardly sleep at night. I mean, pastors' families are exempt. Mondays are a day off, right? But the rest of you working stiffs, How many of you love Monday? You can hardly sleep Sunday night because you get to go back to work tomorrow. I'm just curious. and Not even one? There's got to be at least one person who likes their work. And so when you wake up Mondays and you kind of feel like that guy in the Dunkin' Donuts commercial, time to make the donuts, and you're just walking like a zombie through the motions, doesn't it after a while start to wear away at you? And can you then imagine if that feeling described your entire outlook on all of your life. That it's meaningless. It's like a bad rerun stuck on an endless loop. One day is just like the next day and like the last day. And you feel like this hopelessness setting in because nothing matters, nothing changes. Everything is just what it is. It's blah. I really believe that God intended to give us great hope by giving us this promise that Jesus Christ would return. Now I'm going to give you a disclaimer here just to be totally above board with this. I was scheduled to preach a sermon on the return of Christ from a different passage in 2 Thessalonians, but I made an audible and I decided to preach this message instead. Because when I think about the return of Christ, These are the questions, these are the points that always ring in my own heart, and I just feel like they're very, very important for us to revisit on a regular basis. I preached a version of this message at our church in 2004. How many of you were here in 2004? So I'm sorry, because I know you absolutely memorize every sermon I ever give you, and you probably are like, oh, I already heard this and memorized it. But it's been about eight years since you've heard this text preached, and so I want to encourage you to just kind of, Listen up and stay with me. We're going to look at this passage Ben read. It's the way that the entire Bible comes to a close. It's the last passage of the whole Bible. And it ends with this very, very rich promise. I'm coming back. And the Holy Spirit of God speaking through the church says, Come, Lord Jesus. I want to ask you three important questions related to the return of Jesus Christ. Three important questions related to to the return of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I know that picture is quite something. It's uh, Jesus with a massive sword. But when Jesus first came to the earth, he came as a helpless little baby, soiling his own diapers. But when he returns, he will not come meekly, He will not come quietly. He will not come as a suffering servant. He will come as a triumphant king dressed for battle. He will come as the victor and as the judge, and as the one who rightfully calls all of humanity to account for their lives. When Jesus comes back, He will not come as meekly and silently as when he first came. And so it's important for us to have in our hearts a picture of Jesus upon his return as a fearsome and mighty king, triumphant, resplendent in glory, full of power. No meekness there. He will not whimper. He will not whisper. He will blow the trumpets to announce his arrival. Millions of angels will attend to him and herald his coming. This time when he comes... No one will fail to notice. Millions of people missed the first coming of Jesus Christ, didn't they? They were going on eating their suppers, some baby born in Bethlehem. Oh, who cares? To this day, millions of people ignore it. But when he returns, I absolutely promise you, no one will sleep through that alarm. No one. And when he returns, he will bring with him the end of everything as we know it. And he will begin a new age that will last forever. So I ask you, do you believe that he's coming back? See, Christianity is a really, really interesting way to live your life now. Just every day, day-to-day life, it's a very interesting way to live. But do you believe that Jesus is coming back and he's going to bring a close to everything? When I was in youth group, my youth pastor, who was a long-haired, wild-eyed, crazy guy, if you wanted to take a shower, you sat in the front row, and the spittle just baptized you every week. And when he preached, he got this crazy look in his eyes, like this, right? And he preached this text, and I will never forget that sermon, because throughout the message, he kept doing this. He's like, do you know that Jesus Christ could come back right now? Not tomorrow, not yesterday. Do you realize he could come back before I finish this sermon? Right now! And he just kept doing this on the mic. And this is a room of 20 kids. And he's using a mic, which, first of all, was a little weird. But he would just shout it. And I just, every time he did it, I went, oh, oh. And I, I got real jumpy after it. But he did me a great service that day because the way he delivered it, it just kept impressing upon my young mind that this is real. That when he comes, just like each time I gasp, when he comes, everyone on earth will gasp. I always imagined, as a 15-year-old, if there's any moment where everyone on earth is not thinking about Jesus, that's the moment he's going to come. Because he's going to come like a thief at night. So I remember trying to hold off his coming by thinking about him as often as I could. I'm like, I'm expecting you. I'm watching. I'm l- I think you're going to come now. But <laughs> that's the kind of weird mind I have. But it just impressed upon me, he is going to return. And it's going to be crazy when he does. Everything's going to change. Whatever used to matter, will not matter anymore. And there will be such a finality to his return because everything you thought you would do, you won't get to do anymore. It's the end, capital E. That sincere belief I had as a young boy really had a a transforming effect on my life in two ways. Um, One is it made me think about living more seriously. Because until that point in my life, I was the flakiest kid you could possibly want to meet. I just, I thought about, not, my brother is a really deep dude. You guys have met him, you've heard him preach. He was like that when he was seven. I mean, he, he just he was so serious and so thoughtful and meditative. Not me, I was a complete idiot. But this, this doctrine got me to actually pause every now and then really wonder if he does come so abruptly, what will my life be? have amounted to. It had another interesting effect on my life. It may be asked this question all the time, is this thing I'm doing right now the last thing I want to be doing when the world ends? It got to the point where it had a restraining power over sin in my life. Because as I was beginning to sin, I thought, what if I'm doing this when I hear the trumpets? What if this is the last earthly act of my pathetic life and Jesus comes back and this is what he finds me doing? And that had such a powerful effect on me. I remember feeling that and it actually had the the ability to change my behavior. It even affected how long I sat on the toilet. I mean, can you imagine? I didn't want to be, you know, like this when when I hear the trumpets. I don't want that to be the last thing I'm doing on the earth. And so I began going really fast. Now, you can laugh at my bathroom stuff, but the truth is when you really believe something, it's supposed to affect you. You're not supposed to just nod and go, yeah, I believe that. It's supposed to actually have this measurable change in the way you feel and think and walk and talk. It's supposed to affect you so that your life is different because if this is real, then my life must reflect that I take that very seriously. Now, since those years, I've taken longer on the toilet because I've discovered reading. I'm not as paranoid about any minute he could come because I've grown up, but somehow in my growing up, I've lost something so important. That when Jesus says something, it is seriously true. And there is no um, mincing of words. There are no shades of gray. When he comes, he will come and bring an abrupt end to everything. Twice in this passage, he says something. I am coming. He he says, behold, or he says, yes. Those are ways, ways of saying, hey, hey, listen. I am coming, and I'm coming soon. We'll get to the word soon in a minute. But he says it twice to make sure we got it. Do not ignore this fact. I am going to come. When I first preached this message, I referenced comedian Henry Cho, the Korean comedian with a southern accent. And he has this little bit where he says, when you hear junior high girls talking, when they repeat a word, it has a different meaning. Like when a girl says to another girl, do you like him? Or do you like, like him? Girls, is that a totally different meaning? Do you like him or do you like, like him? What do you think, Jordan? Totally different, right? Do you like him or do you like, it's totally different when you repeat it. Husbands know when the wives went shopping or they went shopping, shopping. Shopping as therapy. Very expensive. Well, do you believe, like, yeah, I kind of believe it, or do you believe, believe? Is it actually having an effect on the way you feel moment by moment, thought by thought? You know, each night, the two older kids are great. They get ready and all that. They're, they're totally maintenance-free now. In fact, sometimes I forget they're in the house. They're just so maintenance-free. The two little ones still require a great deal of maintenance. And each night, we tell them, go upstairs. And it's a whole ordeal, even convincing them to go up the stairs. It's always greeted with, uh Go to bed, get upstairs, get in your jammies, brush your teeth, get ready for Bible time and prayers. And they go up, and I say, We're going to come up soon, but they don't take it seriously. And I can tell by the sounds I'm hearing that they don't actually believe that I'm coming. And so I got to sometimes stand at the bottom of the stairs and go, I'm going to come. And then I hear their feet running, they're scrambling, they're, they're really trying to like cram it all in at the last minute. But I realize how easy it is to stop believing something if a consequence doesn't come right away. And so Jesus says twice, you need to believe that I'm coming. And it matters because if you think of life as this just on and on droning rerun, you will become a functional existentialist. You won't think about yesterday. You won't think about tomorrow. The only thing that will matter is today and whether it feels good and it's fun and it's delicious and it's comfortable. That is all that will matter to you unless you realize this is not just security film footage. There's There's a plot here. There is an ending. There is a purpose and a point to the whole thing that human history itself isn't just meaningless day after day marking of time. There is something happening, and one day it will have happened, and it will end. And to know that every day will make a difference in the way that we live our lives. Do you believe he's coming back? Here's another question. Are you ready for his return? Are you ready for his return? Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon. Let me go back to that. Uh, those patches. You see the word soon there? That's a very powerful word. It's a word intended to create a sense of expectancy without a concrete expectation. Meaning it doesn't tell you exactly when, but what it produces in the hearer, is a sense of ongoing alertness and prep, preparation. And so that's what we say to our kids. We don't say, I'm going to come and fight. We say is, What we say is, I'm going to come soon. You better be ready when I come. You better be ready when I come. Why didn't Jesus give us an exact date? Wouldn't it have been really convenient if Jesus said, I am coming April 14th. So we don't even have to have tax day, right? I'm coming April 14th, 2012. Why didn't he tell us that? It would have been so nice to know in advance. Because think about how human nature works. If he had given us an exact date, how then would we live until April 13th? How would you live? I know how I would live. I, would, I don't think I'd be doing this for a living, probably. I think I would have gone off the deep end. If I knew that I could get all my junk straight, my sinful human nature might have led me astray. How would you live, I wonder? Well, let me prove something to you. When you were a student, whether in high school or college, didn't they give you something at the start of every term? It's called a syllabus. And what does that syllabus have? It has all your assignments, and it has a description in great detail of your final term project or paper along with a due date. When did you begin working on that assignment? You got the assignment the first day of class. When did you actually begin writing it? The really diligent students among us started like a week in advance, but most of us started writing the day before, didn't we? That's even at the university level. We're cramming papers the day before. Think about the two-hour card at GameWorks. Any of you guys ever get one of those two-hour cards? The first hour of a two-hour card at GameWorks, you're like kind of leisurely strolling around, swiping a game. Eh, You know, I like this one. I'm going to try it again. But in the last 20 minutes... Of a two-hour card, you're furiously running through the place, swiping every game you can. If it's not fun, you forget it. It's not worth my time, cause you're panicking, cause it's about to run out. And God knows, human nature is this: when we have a lot of something, we waste it, and when we have a little of something, we're very serious about how it's used. You know, we live under this illusion. That somehow we've got all the time in the world. We've got a a million tomorrows to make up our mind, to get serious, to live like real human beings. We've got tomorrow after tomorrow after tomorrow. And it's that illusion which lures us into not being serious about today. If you think you have a million tomorrows, why would today make such a big difference? And that's exactly how I felt in my teens and my 20s. Around my 30s, I started changing the way I felt, and now I'm in my mid-40s, and I can't think that way anymore. Every second counts for me now, because statistically, I am over the hill. You know, if you talk about the average lifespan for a male in America, I'm more than halfway done. I am speeding down the hill towards my death day, and my birthday is more than half behind me. That's a little morbid, but that's got to affect you at some point. Old people usually say things like this. Have you heard this saying? Youth is wasted on the young. Young kids don't even know how precious time is, and they have so much of it, and you're like, just give me some. You don't deserve it. Give me five of your years, you little punk. You don't even know the value of the time that you have. For those of us who are a little older, we understand that the reality that dawns on us over time is that you don't have forever. You don't have as much time as you once thought you had. And Jesus intends to add to that realization this level of sobriety, of urgency. I am coming, and whether it's your death or whether it's my return, the end of all things will take you by surprise. You can't determine how long you'll be around because if I don't return unexpectedly, your end could come at any moment. It could come at any moment. I remember right after college, I was working as a surgical technician at St. Teresa Hospital. And, uh, you know, I got to assist in a lot of procedures. It was a really cool job. I even got to assist my dad there. That was the thrill of a lifetime. I remember one day, I walked in the, the O.R., And in in the surgery department, everything felt a little different. There was this tension and this buzz in the air just as I started my shift. And what they said was somebody was coming up from the emergency room, and it looked very, very bad. It was a man who had had an aortic aneurysm. He basically was about 250 pounds over the weight he should have been, and he pushed his heart too far, and his heart basically just said, "I, I quit. Here's my letter of resignation. And it exploded, and his aorta exploded in such a way. There's two ways you could have an aortic aneurysm. One, you might survive, and the other, you're pretty much done. And he had that second kind. When you come from emergency room straight to surgery, it is usually going to be very, very bad news. And so there was tension in the air, and I watched this man get wheeled up, and I was surprised to to recognize him. He was the principal of the high school that I'd attended for one semester. The story goes that he was at a fundraiser, Spaghetti Social, at the high school. It was on a Saturday, and... He went into the the, men's, the boys' bathroom to kind of relieve himself, comb his hair, and then he had a, he had a grabber right there in the bathroom, and he keeled over. and The last thing he saw was the ceiling of the boys' bathroom, in this high school. He never recovered. He never came into consciousness again. I watched them slice open his rib cage, pull apart everything. I heard the bones crack. I, heard them, I watched them shove a big needle into his heart, massage it with their hands. They tried everything. I was sent down to the blood bank to rush down for four units of blood, and I got a page halfway down. Just come back. He's not going to make it. As the lowest-ranking member of the surgical team, it was left to me to tag his toe and prepare him for pathology and then the morgue. And so I spent well over 30 minutes alone in this room with this dead man, with his body. And it doesn't take 30 minutes to tag a toe, but it takes 30 minutes to get it around your head. Just I'm sitting and watching him. He had a blanket over his body, and I, it just looked like he was sleeping. And I, I'm 22 years old at the time. I can't get it in my head that this man is just gone. He looked like he was sleeping. And I sat on a stool and just stared at him and thought and thought and thought about life and death. And I remember thinking, if I went to his office at the school, I bet you I'd find a day planner. I bet you there would be appointments with people he was supposed to see the next day. That it was a vacation he had scheduled. Maybe a a doctor's visit he knew he should have gone to, but he was postponing. I, I bet you there were things he needed to say to his daughters that he never really found the courage to say. I bet you there are things he needed to say to his wife. Apologies to make. Promises to keep. Thank yous to express. And he never got around to doing them. And probably like the rest of us, the idea that kept him from doing any of those things is, I can do it tomorrow. I could do it when I find my courage or my faith or my guts or my resolve, but not today. Tomorrow I will pay attention to my marriage. Tomorrow I'll pay attention to my kid. Tomorrow I'll pay attention to my health, but just not today. And just like that, all the tomorrows expired. Just like that, staring at the ceiling tiles in a boy's bathroom, he took his last breath, he saw his last visible moment, and everything he ever intended to do would never be done. His entire life would now be summed up by what he did up till that moment. That was it. You don't put another quarter in and get an extra life. Those are video games. It doesn't work that way here on the earth. And as a young 22-year-old man with my entire future in front of me, that experience messed me up, man. I mean, I just sat there and thought and I thought and I thought and I, I begged God, do not let me die with lots of regrets stored up in the bank. Do not let me waste my life. I can testify to you in honesty. I've wasted a great many days since then. I have flagrantly squandered hours and hours of my life since. But I can also tell you that that experience introduced into my life such a sober awareness that I don't have forever. And in fact, I may not even be able to determine or predict when my end will come. If you knew that today was the very last day for you, what would you do? Would you spend the day alphabetizing your CD collection? Would you clip your toenails, go get your hair highlighted? You wouldn't do anything that took hours that didn't have attached to it some sense of real meaning. Now, I don't think it's possible to live every moment of every day like that. That would be exhausting. You would want the end to come if you lived like that. But I think it's important every now and then to remember If today were the last day for me, I want to know that I've lived it well. That at least at some point in this day, I did something that mattered. Something that would be worthy of one's last day. Look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Let me ask you a third and final question about the return of Jesus. And that is, do you long for his return? The the first two are very religious questions. They are questions that I think um, we expect to hear in church. Do you believe that Jesus is coming? (sighs) Yes, I'm going to try. Are you ready for the test? When he comes to account for your life, are you going to be ready and prepared? And go, oh, I hope so. But this is the most powerful question, I think the most defining question of all. This is the question that reveals your true Christian faith. The first two questions appeal to anyone who is religious. But this question resolves for us clearly, why do you care at all about any of it? See, Jesus is not coming to give us a big answer cosmic sat heaven's admission examination that is not why he's coming he's coming as a happy reunion to reclaim those who are his into eternal glory and to finally bring an end to everything else for those who belong to jesus it is not something that should fill us with dread and tension but with longing Look what the passage says. The Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit. His inclination is to say, I can't wait for that day to come. And the bride of Christ, the true church, he teaches us, should also be saying, come. Do you see the exclamation point? Hebrew doesn't have have punctuations, but the way that it's written, it's very clear. It's not just, yeah, all right, if you want to come, I guess you got to come. You got to do what you got to do, Jesus. Go ahead and come back. It says, come come. You know, it's the same feeling I had when Jeannie and I had a long distance relationship for five and a half years. I don't know how we ended up married because we were never together for more than a week, those entire five and a half years. I had to write her letters, make phone calls. I mean, that's the only connection we ever had. So when it, when she got permission from her parents to come out East and to visit me while I was at seminary, what do you think I said to her? Well, you know, if you want to come, I guess. But like, you know, like the phone call once every month is pretty good. I'm, I'm satisfied. I didn't say, I said, come! Come! Now! Don't wait a week. I could not wait to see her. Why? Do I have to explain to anyone? Because I'm in love. Because when you have the prospect of being reunited with somebody you desperately love... The message you sent is that, could you just wait a couple, actually next week is no good for me. You know, if you could just wait till after, I was in the middle of the exams during that time. It was the worst possible time for her to visit me, but who cares? I was like, I will flunk every test in this place for you. That was really irresponsible. No, I don't, don't, I, daddy was a little crazy with love, but, but that's the feeling. Not the advisable action, but that's the feeling of longing and love. If you love someone, the last thing you would say is, why don't you stay at a distance? Why don't you stay over there? Look at the very last verses here. He who testifies to these things, this is Jesus. He says, yes, I am coming soon. And look at this beautiful response. It is what our own hearts should say. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The extent to which you long for Jesus' return is one of the truest measures of how you feel about Jesus Christ. If I see all the mission trips you go on, all the dollars that you donate, I will see faithfulness, but I may also just be seeing guilt and religion. The only way to know where you truly stand with Jesus is whether the first and greatest commandment is obeyed. Love him with all of your heart. I'm not saying this to judge you. I'm saying this is how you'll know for yourself. What is this whole thing that I have with God? Is it religion? Is it fear? Is it duty? Or is it love? Do I want him to come back? Or is there unfinished business down here that I hope I will get to before he interrupts my life with his inconvenient return. Sometimes we need a reality check. I mean, if you could see heaven even for 10 minutes, like that little boy, I guess, who wrote a book, if you could see heaven, you'd probably want to go there right now. You'd be like, hey, just fast forward to the last chapter. I don't need any of this down here. But we forget. And we start thinking that this place just might be a good home. I remember when I was taking Jeannie to Hawaii, I was graduating from the Aero Leadership Program, and one of my friends in the Aero Leadership Program lives in Hawaii. He's like, why don't you come visit? I was like, okay. So I, went, so I brought Jeannie, and we stayed with him, and it was just great. But we're in the airport waiting for our flight to take off, and you know how they have the TV monitors in the terminal. So I'm watching CNN, and the most fascinating expose was playing. It was an expose of fabulously wealthy prosperity televangelist preachers. And the guy that they were featuring was Creflo Dollar. When you're a pastor and your name is Pastor Dollar, uh uh-uh, oh something's going on, right? So this guy, Creflo Dollar, is preaching a raw, unabashed prosperity gospel. He flies in private jets. He's got a fleet of Bentleys and Rolls Royces. They showed his mansion, and the CNN correspondent looks so uncomfortable. He's talking to this guy. He's like, so, uh, Reverend Dollar, so you're a man of the cloth, right? And... I'm sitting in your massive workout facility, and NFL players come to your house to work out. And he just, you can see, and I'm just watching. I'm so engrossed, and then I hear this announcement. Flight to Hawaii is now boarding, and they started calling the zones, and I was, here's my heart. Oh, man, I hope they don't call me soon. I want to finish this little piece on CNN. When they called our seating zone, it was at the crescendo of this piece and I remember saying to Jeannie, I don't want to get on just yet. Don't worry, we'll get a seat. I want to finish watching this. I remember the look on her face like, are you stupid? <laughs> We're about to go to Hawaii, and you're stuck in the terminal of LAX watching CNN, and you think there's some kind of competition going on here. Wake up. Wake up. Well, That's a little bit how we are, aren't we? Jesus is saying, I'm going to come, and when I come your divided heart will be made whole. You won't struggle to love God ever again. You won't be confused. You won't hear two voices. Everything you wrestle with, you won't wrestle with anymore. No more heartache, no more pain, no more disease. And do you realize this, that right now on the very best of days, you and I are having a long distance relationship with God. Do you understand that that's true? On the best of days, we're having a long-distance relationship with God. How many of you like praying? Okay. Some of us like praying because we feel very close to God. Some of us don't like praying because we feel even farther from God when we pray. It's like, wow, I'm sitting here with my eyes closed talking. And, and if you don't have faith that God's there, prayer is really hard because I really think your embracing of prayer is a great measure of your faith. I struggle sometimes with prayer because when I talk to people, I don't even like talking on the phone. I like to be able to touch your shoulder. I like to smell your, I like to see your face and your expression and the nuances. And prayer is very frustrating for me. I have had wonderful moments of prayer but I've had far more frustrating moments of prayer where I felt very far from God. And that's why I'm telling you, I cannot wait until the time of prayer is done and the time of talking with God face to face is inaugurated. A day is coming when you will never pray again, but you will talk to God the way we're talking to each other right now on earth. And one day I'm going to make an appointment in heaven's food court. We're going to sit for like 10,000 years. I'm going to ask him every question that has ever occurred to me. Jesus is going to laugh at one of my jokes and a piece of onion. is going to fly from his mouth and land on my cheek. And I'm going to smell his breath and it's going to be awesome. I wouldn't have to close my eyes to imagine anything. I'm going to open my eyes and he'll be right there. Why would you not want that? Why would you prefer a long-distance relationship to being up close and personal? It's pathetic. i got to lift up this machine as my Bible. But you guys have your Bibles. You guys like your Bible? Pretty good book, right? It's, a, it's among all the books. It's one of my favorite books. But do you really believe that the infinite God of the universe has said everything there is to say in 66 books? Do you think that God kind of wrote the Bible and got nothing else? I'm shooting blanks. Click, click, click. I'm done. Everything there is to say, I've already said it. you're, You're crazy. He is infinite. There are things he will say in passing in the food court that will be deeper than everything you've ever read in scripture. He'll say things to you that your human brain cannot handle yet. That this finite monkey existence of ours cannot contain the riches of the thoughts of God. And one day, all those impediments will be removed and he will say things to you that will just blow your mind. A universe will explode inside your head. And those things won't be things he said to everyone. They will be things he is saying to you. Can you imagine? I've had moments when I felt really close to Jesus at retreats and revivals where I had what we would call a mountaintop experience where I felt so close to God, it was like he was touching me. Have any of you ever had that moment? Doesn't it stink when it fades away into distant memory? And I try so hard to get it back. I, I rock and pray, and I'm like, come on, just I, I want to get it back. I want to feel it. I think of like sad thoughts to make myself cry, just wanting to get that intimacy back, and I can't always get it. But can you imagine actually hugging Jesus Christ? Can you imagine putting your finger through that hole in his hand? I can't wait for that. I'm so tired of using my imagination. I'm glad he's given me the gift of faith, but I cannot wait for the day when the barrier between me and my Savior is eliminated and we are there together forever. And I don't care what is not yet finished down here. Nothing here could possibly compare to the greatness of that day. And until then, I will be faithful. I will have hope. I will plan. I would love to see my children grow up and get married. I would love to see their little children. And I would love to see them have all kinds of heartache and grief as their kids give them a hard time too. I want to see all that. But if I don't, what awaits me on the other end is far greater than those things. And it isn't until I understand that, that I've understood the greatness of this God and the depth of his great love for me. And I hope that that will be your heart as you think about the end of the world, that it is not doomsday, but it's the day of our reunion with him. And if we understand that, then our hearts along with the Holy Spirit, along with the bride of Christ, will say, yes, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I hope I'm alive when I see him come. Guys, whether it is your own unexpected death or the return of Jesus, you don't have an infinite string of tomorrows to start really living your life. Today matters because today may be all that you've got left. I can't vouch for how many grains of sand are in your hourglass. None of us knows. But I want to ask you to be sober minded about the promise of Jesus and what his intention was. It's not to cause you tension and fear, but to wake you up and say, please don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Use it, live it, invest it, make the most of every moment. Don't waste it. And when he comes, may we be among those watching for him in the sky, ready, prepared, anxious for him. Why don't we bow to pray together? You know, one day, every human being will stand before Jesus Christ and they will basically give an account of their lives. God will say to them, I gave you the gift of life on this earth. Tell me what you managed to do with that gift. For those who have trusted Jesus as Savior... After the story is told, Jesus will stand in front of us and say, Father, I know that every person here deserves to be judged and be found wanting. But this one trusted me. And so I stand like his attorney as his advocate. I stand before him or her and I cover them in my righteousness. So that after the story is told, when all of your shortcomings are made known, God, your Savior, will defend you. Woe to those who will not have someone stand and speak for them on that day. But you know, even though we have Jesus standing up for us at the end, that story will either encourage you or break your heart as you look back on the years of life Jesus granted you after your salvation and you recount the wasted days and the months and the years spent in useless, fruitless arguments and conflict and pursuits that had no eternal value. And you say, how could I have possibly wasted so many years when he had given me the gift of salvation? I hope that when we're giving an account of our lives rather than giving a testimony of regret we will look back on our years on earth and say, Jesus, thank you that after you met me my life actually was filled with joy and love and beauty. And in the midst of all the wasted things I got to experience so many things that will echo into eternity. Thank you. Some of you are making such big steps to live that way now, and it is such an encouragement to the rest of us. Press on. Your life, your choices are encouraging us to live more seriously and faithfully before Jesus. Thank you for doing that. I pray for all of us. That will be our testimony. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you to be quiet now and just respond to God in your own way. And then I'll close for us in prayer after.